0: Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Entertainment Rebooted. My name is Isabel, and today we are going to be talking about the Oscar-nominated movie, Top Gun Maverick. We are also going to be talking about Netflix's The Pale Blue Eye, so let's get started.
1: Hello, Entertainment Rebooted listeners. My name is Alec, the one and the only. I am a former member here at the University of Akron's WZIP 88.1 FM, ready to bring more fun to the table. Before I joined the show and returned to the department this semester, I was an on-air DJ with my very own morning show and helped make some sweepers with the production team. To summarize what I mean by production, it was the closest thing we have to an advertising department, since WZIP is considered a commercial free station. Now, to everyone's surprise, I do have some history with the entertainment department since I was a member back when it was called Entertainment Unzipped. The show was run a little differently with a different set of rules and a larger amount of what we strictly had to talk about. But overall, I enjoyed the experience as I learned how to properly conduct a review for the radio. Now, enough about me. On to the review. Considering this is my first segment for the new and rebooted version of entertainment, I think it's only fair to start with something simple yet exciting. I'm going to be looking at a film known as Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick is a movie that came out back in May of 2022, but it is still currently running in theaters. So I thought it'd be something worth talking about. It was nominated for its best writing, its best picture, its visual, its effects as well as its editing. I was also amazed with the fact that it was able to tell such an amazing story with a set of relatable characters who had to battle through a lifelong set of situations. There were also some good life lessons that were incorporated into into some of the scenes as well. Just so everyone is aware, it has been a while since I have last seen this film, so there are a couple of details that might end up being blurry to me, but I remember the overall storyline and how it can teach audiences to push your limits and to always stick together. Considering that I am someone who hasn't seen the first film yet, I can be looked at as someone who can talk about having a first impression just by looking at the sequel of the original. So to talk further into the storyline, the film revolves around a character by the name Captain Pete Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, who was sent on a mission from Top Gun to train a series of pilots that were selected as the best of their class. Fast-forwarding to the training scenes in the film, Maverick takes the pilots into the air with their aircrafts and decides to play a little game to help them get ready for their first mission. It was as simple as, work together to shoot Maverick down. And boy, was he one tough target. The graduated pilots then go on another drill where they had to fly through the valley up on a mountain and shoot down a target with their missiles in under four minutes. After being discharged from leading the training, Maverick proves that... With enough speed and focus, the mission can be done within two minutes. Even though the main focus of the story was revolved around a mission that had pilots bombing an enemy base, there was other counterparts of the story that made it more interesting to watch. Maverick's former wingman, Goose, had a son named Lieutenant Bradshaw, also known as Rooster. The two of them rival off each other throughout the film as Maverick decides to push Rooster's status back by four years, due to the fact that he was holding constant fear that he would suffer the same fate that his father did after he was killed in a plane crash. Another important character that was important to consider was Maverick's love interest, Penny Benjamin. She worked at a local bar that the soldiers would hang out at while also raising a daughter on her own. They were both supportive of each other as she encouraged Maverick to keep pushing through even though time seemed difficult. Lastly, Admiral Tom Iceman, was still trying to put in the good word for Maverick as he still had hope that he was able to offer more to the army. There was one point in the film that addressed how stressed out he was about losing Rooster, whether it be through internally upsetting him by holding him back or within another plane crash, just like his father. From this moment, Iceman told Maverick that it was time for him to let go. This was one of the many lessons that I was able to take away from this film because it reminds parents and guardians that there is a point where they should let their kids grow up and make their own decisions. At the climax of this film, the Marines set out on their mission by sending four aircrafts to blow up the main reactor in the enemy base, and later on use the lessons that they have learned while they were in training. Two sets of pilots and their wingmen were sent into battle without detecting the enemy missiles. There is one point where Maverick ends up getting shot down after succeeding at completing the mission causing Rooster to go after him while participating in the fight. This is the point where both men had to finally work together to escape the island and return back to the base safely. And luckily, they did. They were able to end the entire film with a happily ever after, the end. Now to wrap up this entire review, there are some points that I wanna talk about freely before we call this a review and a close. So, yes, the story and plot were amazing because of the fact that it revolved around a storyline that took place within the army and the marines, but it branched out to a more emotional and relational standpoint to where it was men looking out for one another, and that's what I really liked about the film. The acting was super phenomenal. Tom Cruise did an amazing job, so did every other character that was in that film. I mean, it wasn't too lengthy, but then again, there were some good parts, you know, that kept my attention, others that, you know, could have dragged on, could have been better, but nothing, nothing too picky from that. Now, as for the music that was made in this film, I honestly thought everything was scored so superbly, but there were two songs I wanted to point out really quick. So, as you know, there's this song called, I Ain't Worried, written by OneRepublic that is consistently playing on the radio, and didn't realize that it was written for this film until I watched the music video, but it is played during the beach scene, while the soldiers are playing both offensive and defensive football at the same time. And it still jingles in my head every once in a while, but it's pretty cool. The other one is played towards the end, right before the credits, and it's called Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga, and I really can uh, feel the emotion behind that song as well as the plane rides off into the sunset and the credits roll, and it really gives off a good tone to end the film. Alrighty, folks, that will about do it for the review of Top Gun Maverick The Movie. Those are some of my thoughts, some of my takeaways, and how I really think the movie turned out overall. It was a great film to watch. I know it's been out for a while, so I don't think I can really give too many spoilers as to what it is, because I'm sure the majority of people have seen it already at the point that this review is coming out. But I really would encourage you to watch it if you have yet to see it, along with the first one, if you've not seen that yet. But anyways, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And this is Alec signing off of WZIP Entertainment Rebooted.
0: Thank you so much, Alec. We're happy to have you in entertainment. Now, let's switch it over to Netflix's The Pale Blue Eye with Elliot.
2: I just watched the 2022 mystery crime thriller The Pale Blue Eye, directed by Scott Cooper, starring Christian Bale and Harry Melling, and I have quite a few thoughts. I wanted to talk about what I think the movie did well, what it maybe could have improved on, and overall, if I think it's worth the 128-minute runtime that it had, as well as if I think you should give it a watch. Before I get started, I did want to say that The Pale Blue Eye focuses on some heavy themes such as alcoholism, murder, suicide, assault, and rape. And while I will do my best to not talk about them, some of these darker aspects are crucial to the plot, specifically the murder and suicide, so if those are triggering to you or you're not in the best headspace, please feel free to skip this segment and listen at a future time on the podcast, or not at all, if that's what you need to stay safe. Along with having some darker topics, The Pale Blue Eye is rated R for, as Netflix puts it, some violent content and bloody images, and I wholeheartedly agree with that rating. As well, it's not a horror movie, there are some horror-esque and gory scenes, and I will not be going into detail on those scenes here, but if those affect you, you may want to consider skipping this movie. At the end of this podcast, I will be breaking down the plot, which will include spoilers, but the majority of this, including the review, will be spoiler-free, and there will be a distinction at the end of the spoiler-free section before the spoilers start. The Pale Blue Eye takes place in October of 1830 at the United States Military Academy, and it follows a seasoned detective by the name of Augustus Landor, who is tasked with investigating the death of a cadet by the name of Leroy Fry, who was found hanging from a tree with his heart mysteriously removed from his body. Throughout his investigation, Landor is assisted by a young Edgar Allan Poe who is also a cadet at the Academy, Despite this movie being about Edgar Allan Poe, it is a completely fictional work. If I had to describe The Pale Blue Eye in one word, that word would be gothic. It was a gothic movie through and through. It had all of the hallmark signs of a good gothic story. It opened up with a quote by Edgar Allan Poe, which goes, the boundaries which divide life from death are at best shadowy and vague. Who shall say where the one ends and where the other begins? And then it immediately cuts into a foggy image of a person hanging from a tree. This captivated me right from the beginning and I wanted to know who this person was and why this quote was put right at the beginning of the movie. Within the first 10 minutes of the movie, we find out that Leroy Fry may have not hanged himself, but that it may have instead been a murder. That's all I'm gonna say about the plot on the radio, but if you wanna hear my plot breakdown and hear me go into detail about it, you can check out the Entertainment Rebooted podcast. Now, to get into my review of the movie, I wanted to talk about what I thought it did well, and that would be story building and immersion. Throughout the entire movie, I felt really immersed in the 1830s gothic plot line And I think that was due to really good cinematography and a really good soundtrack. The music was simple, but it did exactly what it needed to do. It helped build tension when tension needed to be built, but it didn't take away from the movie, which I find that some soundtracks do. The movie was also shot beautifully. It was a really pleasant viewing experience, cinematography wise. I felt like the filmmaking really fit the setting. There were a lot of crows and ravens, which fit the Edgar Allan Poe theme, and there was also a lot of foggy imagery, which fit the very gothic theme. The Pale Blue Eye really felt like an Edgar Allan Poe work. Like I mentioned, there were ravens, there were some dark family secrets, and I mentioned the occult, as well as a really big reference to the Telltale Heart. The movie has quite a few references to Edgar Allan Poe's work and if you're familiar with his work, you'll probably be able to pick up on at least five of them. I'm not sure exactly how many there are, as I only know a few of his works, but I think the reference to the Telltale Heart is one of the most obvious ones, but that is also one of his most well-known works. Despite the fact that I felt really immersed in the movie and loved the entire filmmaking and atmosphere of the movie, I did find it a little bit long. The movie was over two hours long, and there were some scenes that I just found it hard to pay attention. I don't want to say that I was bored, because I did want to know what was going on throughout the entire movie, but there were some scenes that I feel like could have been cut out. I also feel like the plot and the dialogue was a little bit unbelievable at some points but I'll give the movie a pass because it was supposed to feel like an Edgar Allan Poe work and some of the reasons I felt it was unbelievable is because of the occult themes which would make sense in an Edgar Allan Poe work. Even though I wasn't the biggest fan of some of the dialogue I feel like the actors did a really good job and if you've seen Harry Miller, you kind of know what to expect from his portrayal of Poe. It was very creepy, which I feel like you need when portraying such an iconic horror author such as Edgar Allan Poe. I feel like the movie was put together really well, and I really found myself at the edge of my seat wondering who killed Leroy Fry, and who was behind this murder, and where the movie was going to go. Despite the fact that I thought the movie was a little bit long and had some scenes that could be cut out, it did do a pretty good job of holding my attention, and overall, I think it would be worth the watch. Now that you know my thoughts on The Pale Blue Eye, I wanted to go a little bit more into the plot summary and tell you what happened in case you don't want to watch the movie, or you were still a little bit confused. Now bear with me as there are a lot of different names and it may get a little bit confusing, but I'll try to make this as simple as possible. This section of the podcast will contain spoilers of the pale blue eye. During my review, I was able to avoid many of the heavy and serious topics, but in my plot breakdown of the movie, it would be impossible for me to not talk about them. So as I said before, if discussions of rape, assault, suicide, and murder are triggering to you, please feel free to skip this part of the podcast. After we see the man hanging in the tree, the film begins with Captain Hitchcock of the Military Academy bringing Augustus Landor onto the case to investigate the death of Leroy Fry. Captain Hitchcock tells Landor that Fry hanged himself, but it is soon discovered that he was actually murdered, and Landor finds a piece of paper folded inside of Fry's hand. Landor doesn't know what the note he found in Fry's hand says as it was torn, but he works with Edgar Allan Poe to investigate this murder, and they end up deciphering that it was a summoning to where the crime scene happened by an unknown person who they suspect to be the killer. Later on, some animals are found killed in the area with their hearts missing. This discovery led Poe and Landor to think that the removal of Fry's heart may have been for a religious ceremony. During their investigation, Landor finds a symbol and he meets with one of his friends, and they connect the symbols and the missing hearts to an occult practice in a book that instructs the reader to perform a ritual to gain immortality. Edgar becomes acquainted with another cadet by the name of Artemis Marquis, who was the son of the Academy physician Daniel Marquis. Edgar then meets Artemis' sister, Lee, who is suffering from an unknown seizure disorder that threatens her life. Edgar learns from some fellow cadets that the Marquis family is involved in some, as they say, non-Christian traditions and black magic. At a dinner with the Marquis family, Landor looks inside of Daniel's library and finds a copy of the same book that detailed how to gain immortality using human hearts. At the same time, another cadet, Randolph Bellinger, is discovered dead near the academy with his heart missing. While Landor goes to investigate this murder, Lee takes Edgar into an isolated room and begins the ritual of removing his heart. But right before they actually kill Poe, the detective walks in, saving his life. During this, the barn that Artemis and Lee were working in burns down, killing both of them. The military now thinks that the case is solved and that it was Lee and Artemis who did it, but Poe realizes from the note that was left in Fry's hand that it was actually Landor who killed him. It is then revealed that two years earlier, Fry, Ballinger, and a third cadet raped Landor's daughter and she jumped off of a cliff, killing herself. Landor tells people that she runs away, but Edgar now knows the truth. After this, Landor, overcome with guilt, tells Edgar that he needs to turn him into the authorities using the note that he found and explain everything that happened. Edgar refuses and burns the note so that there's no proof that Landor murdered them. At the end of the film, Landor is seen standing on the same cliff that his daughter leapt from. He lets her hair ribbon, which he's kept on to for both of these years, float away in the wind and he says rest my love before the screen fades to black, implying that overtaken with guilt, he jumped off of the cliff. To break it down even more, Augustus Landor is the one that killed Fry, but Artemis and Lee saw Fry's body hanging there and got their father, who was the physician, to cut his heart out and use it to help cure Lee's seizures. Still wanting vengeance, Landor then kills Bellinger and plans to kill the third cadet, and he removes their hearts to make it look like it was the same person that killed Fry, which was him, but now he's trying to pin it on Augustus and Lee. The two of them burn to death while they're trying to kill Edgar Allan Poe to use his heart in another ritual, so Landor convinces their father that they were the ones that killed Fry and Bellinger. While he was recovering from being in the fire, Edgar Allan Poe pieces together that it wasn't actually Artemis and Lee that killed Fry, but it was Augustus Landor himself because he looks at a note Landor left him and the handwriting on the note he found in Fry's dead hand. Poe confronts Landor with this, and Landor tells him to turn him into the authorities, but Poe has kind of taken him on as a father figure and doesn't want to report him, so Landor, overcome with guilt, kills himself at the end of the film. This movie really has no happy parts to it. The whole thing was sad, and it had a kind of melancholic ending to it. That being said, I did really enjoy the movie, and it really made me think, and it did really feel like an Edgar Allan Poe work.
0: Thank you so much, Elliot, and thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this week's Entertainment Rebooted. You could check us out on our podcast, Entertainment Rebooted, at Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, and Podcast Addict, as well as any other major podcasting platforms. And you can always listen every Sunday at 1 on 88.1. Thanks for listening.